Welcome to the Applied Blockchain Podcast, where blockchain technology and innovation are in the spotlight. My name is Adi Benari, and I'm the founder and CEO of Applied Blockchain, and I'll be your host as we dive into relaxed conversations with industry experts and thought leaders to get their views on what they're building, the Web3 ecosystem and its transformative impact on the modern world. Hi, Marianne. Welcome to the Applied Blockchain Podcast. Thank you, Adi. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, we've known each other for a while, um, but most of our listeners maybe uh, haven't come across you before. So why don't you um, introduce yourself, give us a bit of background, tell us a bit about, you know, I guess, who you are and why we know each other. That sounds very good. And you'll have to step in and make it more interesting than me doing a monologue. So <laughs> Adi and I yeah. met, when was it, 2017-ish? When when I ran origination yeah. and investments for Shell Trading, and that was uh, that involved growing the the physical footprint through cross commodity deals across crude oil, oil products, etc. And it also involved uh, more and more looking at new uh, venturing options that would grow uh, and develop new profit models for for a trading environment. So at the time, we'd done VACT as a coalition. I was the chairperson of the board. We were doing ComGo, another coalition for, for banking and, and trade finance at the time. And one of the, the gents in my team, Andy, I think, Andy, you'll remember him, not Andy Deacon of Water, but Andy at Shell, came to me and said, we're trying to close with a really interesting team called Applied Blockchain. And the CEO and owner, is a very tough negotiator. So I need you to step in. <laughs> and Adi, that's that's how you and I had that very first right. call. I, I remember I was pacing the conference room and, and having a conversation with you about obviously bringing you and your impressive team in to help, uh, help us retool right. some of our internal processes on blockchain and, and, and to do the shell investment. But yeah. from there, we've become we've become fast friends. I've always been a fan of the work your team does and your deep understanding of the compliance, the the privacy, and the the requirements around secrecy of regulated institutions and trading houses, etc. So first of all, that's the first time I've heard about the negotiation. But I've got to tell you, that was really <laughs> this was really my first steps into running a business, and really probably my first attempt at negotiating and I'm pretty sure I caved into everything all, all the demands um, but anyway <laughs> I, I don't know that, as, that's, that, that's how I remember you, <laughs> <laughs> you think about the relative scale of the ventures shell trading negotiating with you yeah. you were doing such an amazing job of not just holding your own but protecting value and, and showing us your value so yeah. that, was, okay. that was a pleasure Okay, I mean that, that that that's hilarious. But um um I guess for us for us as a company, I think we were about two years old when we first engaged with Shell uh, yeah. and with your team as well. And so that was a that, that was a big deal for us as well, obviously. Uh, and that's a relationship that's kind of for us has grown from strength to strength as well. But maybe um you know you you you, you mentioned water, so maybe give us a, a bit of background about I guess how someone who's working for a large company and comes across blockchain across the technology you know what it did for you what you saw in it and then what you realized you could do or, or, it, or had a vision of what you could do through water that's a great question Adi you know in 2016 uh, Shell, BP, Mercuria uh, and a bunch of other competitors we came together 
to create um, VAT, which was a post-trade processing uh, coalition and ultimately blockchain platform for, um, for, for stuff that could live in, in something that looks like a blockchain, but really is a ledger and a, and a spreadsheet, right? Closed, closed blockchain ecosystems, much of it off-chain anyway. That was my first introduction to what was possible. And although we were, we were confined by the boundaries of being very early, trying to understand the technology, trying to understand what we might be able to really do with it, we did spend a lot of time thinking about what does commodities look like when you graduate from a world of centralized data ownership and, and the trust necessary in centralized intermediaries today. If you look at things like even price discovery or contracting in, in commodities, those are managed by very sophisticated human-led intermediaries that don't necessarily promote competition, democratization of contracting, etc. And how very interesting if you could get to a place where that intermediation was minimized to what is necessary technologically and empowered with a trustless ecosystem, a post-trust ecosystem. That's what fascinated me. And I think where I got the bug of, of blockchain, we did a lot of projects, some of which I think you knew about from, from your role and your partnership with Shell, many of which are now public and many of which were never publicized. But the more I learned about what was possible, the more it became evident that the way we were approaching it as, a, as an industry in a closed ecosystem and treating blockchain as if it's just a ledger, a spreadsheet, was missing the point. And it was, it was missing the point and it was constrained because there was nowhere else to build a sandbox and experiment and build in a safe environment that respects our compliance requirements, our regulatory requirements, and our privacy needs. And that became something that I couldn't shake. And the more, you know, 90% of my time, of course, was spent on, on physical deals and thinking about flows of crude oil and oil products. But my personal time was increasingly spent trying to think about how do you crack that nut? How do you graduate this industry to a world where we understand, leverage, and utilize, A, an open developer ecosystem to solve some of our biggest problems, and B, the ability to make commodities programmable so that innovation can happen in a safe, interoperable environment that leverages blockchain. So w- would I be right in, in summarizing that, um, I guess you started off um, at shell trading and looking at the, at the, the way you know, the, business, you know, the, the business existed up until that point, um, and then you saw an opportunity through blockchain technology to work with partners and others in the ecosystem uh, in a more maybe in a more efficient way and that, and and I guess a, a big step towards that was VACT, which I think was a was a big deal at the time in terms of getting everybody together uh, and getting them to work together on something like this um, but there's something that you saw beyond that right uh, I guess there's something that you, saw, that you saw in the open ecosystems that, that, absolutely that, that you thought was another step um, that would that would bring a, a kind of whole new level of efficiencies and you talked about transparency and pricing and, and things like this right I guess liquidity I, I think if I were to categorize it into buckets I'd say everything we were doing as an industry and we continue to do as an industry in 
in our traditional formats is about efficiency. And that works, that works well. And things like VACT and ComGo and Covantis in AGS, et cetera, they bring efficiency to, you know, kind of antiquated um, paper-based processes. And they try to eliminate some fraud. What has become more and more interesting and intriguing to me is, is something I've always done, which is great. Efficiency is step one. But how do you create new profit models and new business models that systemically address some of the big flaws in how we do resources today? And some of those big flaws are not new dilemmas. Energy transition is an age-old dilemma. Preservation of local resources, giving back to the community, not exploiting the local community where one extracts resources from, whether it's mining or oil and gas, not polluting the environment and and minimizing CO2 footprint, recycling water, all of that, you know, has been for decades part of how industry and commodities thinks about supply chain and its license to operate. However, all of those problems, really big global dilemmas that impact you and me and everyone else in ways we don't fully fathom because they're not being addressed by us or with us in the room, all of those dilemmas continue to be riddling and solved for in closed corporate environments. And not because they don't want to do open innovation, but because even if you go and do open innovation on one part of your supply chain and you launch these ventures, they're not interoperable with the rest of your business. They're not even interoperable with one another. They become, again, stranded solutions that entrepreneurs came up with who might or might not fully understand the the, the real dilemmas and constraints of physical flows. So the power of an open ecosystem, the power of a layer one that would enable a whole bunch of entrepreneurs to bring their ideas and their solutions to the table in mutual profit models with some of the biggest pioneers of mining, metals, energy, and and sustainability felt really powerful if those giants of industry were willing to create a a way for third parties outside of their core to come and build on, interact with, and innovate on their supply chains. The only way to this day I know of to do that is to make those commodities programmable and create an environment sort of like an app store for commodities, right? Where the basic foundation is there, the flows are there, everyone can interact in a safe space, the rules are defined, by the participants who are regulated and have regulatory requirements, but others are able to come innovate, interact, and build on top of. That's how we get to a new energy and metals and resource supply model. That's what we're trying to achieve. I don't know if that makes sense because it's a lot of ideas in you know three sentences. Yeah, I, I, no, I think it, I mean it makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of I mean there's a lot in there. Right. Um, I, I guess what I'd like to do is uh, is explain a little bit or dive into why we think um, you know the, the the technology and the way this technology is evolving can really help to solve some really big problems. Right. You talked about um, some things that happen in supply chains. You know the way the way supply chains are run, the way um, materials are sourced, 
and and I guess my understanding would be that through the technology, because we you know we can use the technology to create this provenance, this history, which which becomes relatively mutable, which is hard to change. We kind of have this this record that's built upon, and through tokenization, we can create a a, a token effectively that represents the commodity. And through that provenance, we can have the history of the commodity. And so, with those two things together, we know what we're dealing with. When you deal with a commodity, you can you can see some traceability. You can see where it's come from. You can see what it's been through, and you can judge and decide what type of commodities you want to deal with, what what you want to trade, what you want to finance, and so on. Right? Is that is, is that a fair summary? That's one piece of it, right? So there are two there are two mm-hmm. pieces when you think about an uh, a commodities ecosystem. And when I talk about commodities, I'm literally talking about physical flows of metals, minerals, oil gas, et cetera. So, so not um, stuff that has a utility for our resource models. But when you, when you think about that environment and the end-to-end, you're dealing with individuals and organizations who have to know one another's identity and trust that their counterpart is trustworthy and that the truth of who that counterpart is, the KYC AML uh, requirements of that counterpart is safely housed up to date and to the extent possible shared between ecosystem participants as long as that individual or organization wants them shared. And if we simply had something just that basic, you know, some of the stuff you read about in the press about major trading houses losing hundreds of millions of dollars in the last two, three weeks alone would not happen because you would have a shared understanding of good actors, shared understanding of bad actors. So identity and the sovereign identity as an enabler of more rapid, transparent, and uh, compliant trade is an essential first. And so water identity is built in across the protocol. So is water asset identity, which is what you were describing. The ability for every asset, so a lot of aluminum or a cargo of oil, to have the identity and the, the data from source to consumption embedded in its um, in the token that represents it. That's yep. another really important innovation that we've been driving with with Parity's help and with help from many of our partners in the commodities industry. What is also really important and, and unique is I'm not talking about an application or a venture or an exchange or a marketplace that uses this. We are talking about a protocol a layer one. So for those, you know, from my old world who aren't uh, blockchain native, that's comparable to the World Wide Web protocol, the stuff that lives underneath the, the ventures. The water ID and water asset ID and over time ratings performance against financial and sustainability metrics, yeah. that lives and is transferable at a protocol level. So it is shared to the extent the individual who owns the data wants to share them. It is shared between all of the market participants, and it can be leveraged by all of the dApps and applications and ventures who live on top of it. And so you create a community of independent ventures that are interoperable with one another and with legacy systems of chain who have a shared access to the truth of identity, to the truth of asset provenance, and to the changes of that as organizations, individuals, and assets move through the water ecosystem. If you achieve that and you do it in a regulated, genuinely self-sovereign way, 
you mm. create a fundamentally different um, dynamic for how commodities move across the physical space, which is what we're trying to do. Yeah. We want an elevated class of commodities that holds this truth in in everything it does and can be bought, sold, traded, um, financed on water through third party partners who are providing those applications. Got it. Right. Okay. So let me let me reflect this back to you again. Right. And, and again, I'm coming at it from a little bit of a technical perspective. So I'm so I'm going to try and uh, and express it that way. Awesome. Um, I guess we have, you know, in the blockchain world, we have private blockchains. Right. We talked about those, and I guess uh, platforms like Vact, and uh, and these these are essentially closed loop uh, systems, generally, yes. um, which are they're, they're primarily workflow systems i guess between 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 participants and on the other side we have uh, open crypto plat- blockchain platforms uh, obviously used for crypto and these are generally uh, or usually anonymous they have anonymous parties who host the the the, the infrastructure and they have an- anonymous participants who participate um, and they're very open so people build applications deploy the applications as we call them smart contract applications to to these networks like ethereum um, and and they operate in this relatively unregulated uh, environment. And I guess what you're proposing, you want uh, the good stuff from that open environment. So you want developers to be able to come along and build applications on top of the, an infrastructure, a network. Um, but you want that network to provide uh, the, 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 the tools, if you like, for parties to be either identified or verified and so, so people will know who they're dealing with, and it won't be anonymous uh, in the in the way that cryptocurrency uh, blockchains are. Um, but the parties will be verified uh, because because participants in in uh, dealing with these types of assets with these commodities, they need to be go through KYC processes, KYC and AML and so on. Um, so you'll have that safety there uh, for compliance. But on the other hand, it will be an open ecosystem, and the developers can come along. And just like on Ethereum, they can deploy their uh, applications, and also the network itself will be open and decentralized uh, because it will it, because it's a parachain and part of the Polkadot network, um, and so uh, water itself is anchored in in the Polkadot ecosystem, which is open and decentralized. That's right? so well put, Adi. That we should put you in touch with our marketing team. <laughs> it's exactly exactly right. I would add one well, caveat. Yeah. The one caveat is it is self-selecting identity. So we are not requiring KYC, AML, or even verification for participants to come into the water protocol. That would that would limit the openness and innovation you're you're referring to. Mm-hmm. But counterparts self-select what level of verification they require from the other identities and organizations they are willing to interface with. And yeah. so it's self-sovereign and distributed identity that where the owner of the identity and the data chooses how far down the verification and KYC path they want to go, if they want to house their data with a KPMG or a Deloitte, and then give the keys to that data to anyone else who wants to interact with them or to make it just visible as a level of compliance that they've adhered to voluntarily, it simply opens the door for them to participate in more communities, in more activities, and in the applications that require 
that level of verification. So it is genuinely open and the community is self-selecting on how far it it is willing to go in the interest of interacting with and interfacing and doing business with regulated institutions who have a very clear guardrail. Got it. Got it. So so if I'm a regulated institution and I have a very um, extensive um, process for onboarding counterparts, then I could define that um, in through the water protocol um, and 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 really work with counterparts that, that go through the process and tick the boxes that I need them to tick, right? And only and, interface with counterparts yeah. and organizations who have ticked the boxes you need them to tick. Yeah, and, and, and likewise, if I'm a, I don't know, a smaller participant and I don't have such stringent processes for whatever reason, um, then then I, I, I might select a, a, you know, I, I might be open to parties who have only done certain checks, but maybe not uh, not as extensive as, as the institution might require. Right? Absolutely. The protocol is fully decentralized. It's governed by the community. It has no external rules set up on it other than making sure that organizations and individuals interact with and only transact with the caliber of organizations and individuals they opt to do business with. And it's always whatever organization is at a higher tier of verification requirement, those requirements, you know, override when they are in the room and and who they see and who they can deal with. And then applications can leverage that underlying identity or they can impose their own requirements. And that's a totally democratized, decentralized path to do it. Got it. And and have you um, have you envisaged what the first set of applications might look like, or, or what type of applications you think um, will, will you know will will emerge, or are you thinking of this as here's a blank canvas that's really designed for the commodities industry, and we're really just creating that, and and, and we're leaving it open to people to come and, and and do as they please, or is there a combination of the two? It has to be the combination of the two because it's. It's very difficult to help commodities imagine what is possible without onboarding and and really systemic relationship management. And it's very difficult to help the blockchain native and, and crypto community imagine what is possible when you think about a $17 trillion industry, such as physical commodities, and leveraging the, the, the talent, the toolkit, and the technology that's predominantly been used for non-real-world assets to date to tackle this. So a bridging and a translation and a lot of, um, a lot of introductions and, and, and co-creation is necessary. And so part of the water ecosystem is Neo Holdings, where, where I have an executive role. And there, we spend all of our time doing exactly that, curating an ecosystem, curating flows from industry giants, curating uh, DAP teams that feel like they are ready and understand what would be required to service this industry, and also sponsoring the build of some key backbone infrastructure. And in in our strategy, really, it's a, it's a multi-step strategy. The first key thing that needs to happen after water launches in in April, we go from uh, testnet to mainnet in in April, 
when water launches, it will launch with a marketplace for tokenized forward contracts, which we're working with yourselves to bring to life um, at Applied Blockchain. The, the reason to do that is it is the simplest, lowest friction way to onboard physical flows and physical contracts. And it is really a the safest space you could create from a compliance regulatory and as few unknowns as humanly possible when you're dealing with a giant of industry or, or trade. And so as we onboard these flows into the marketplace, which is a bilateral uh, deal execution engine ultimately, but on fully on water, fully on blockchain, it will allow us to execute the, the very first uh, buy sells of a physical commodity supply chain on a on a smart contract and and certainly executed in an open blockchain lots of world firsts there and so lots of preparation to get there and make sure it goes it goes well and and with all guardrails in place as you bring more and more of those on where the producers are producing and delivering against blockchain executed contracts the more critical mass you get of this new class of elevated commodities, because every flow that comes on to the marketplace has not just its provenance, but also its externalities detailed from carbon footprint to water use to female participation, as well as more traditional metrics of corporate social responsibility. And so you're creating this new asset class that's elevated with a buyer class from the from the world of manufacturing or consumer goods who are preferentially choosing to buy what they deem is ethical. And I think that's really important, letting the consumer and customer and the intermediaries who represent that voice choose what their consumption finances in the footprint of the resources they buy versus waiting for a government or a third party to tell us what good is. And, and so much of the world is waiting for someone to tell us what is acceptable when actually every time we make a purchase, we vote for an outcome. So let's bring that to life. Let's make it transparent and let's empower the, the producers and the consuming organizations to make that choice and fueled by what the consumers want. That's step one. And then I can go into the next steps if, if that's useful. Yeah. So again... I guess you've talked about consumers now, so I guess you you imagine consumers because this is an I guess an open ecosystem. Uh, as a consumer, I could potentially in the future understand where materials are coming from that I'm for products that I'm buying, right? Well, you know what's what's fascinating. Yes, is the is the short answer, and then I'll tell you a story. Um, the 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 way it it all comes together ultimately is you have large organizations whose flows and, and brands really establish a benchmark around what responsible means, what transparency means. Alongside them, you have many smaller organizations. So where, you know, where we're, we're talking, for example, to cashew exporters from, from Africa, and we're talking to gluten-free flour buyers who buy that for some of the, you know, some of the uh, grocery stores in the U.S., you know, Erewhon and Whole Foods, who, who have an elevated sense of what they believe is good. So at the same time that the marketplace is, 
is catering to these large global supplies. It's also catering to really intimate consumer-led smaller supply chains. And what you start to create is differentiated pricing. You start to create a pricing environment where externalities determine the value of a good as much as, you know, its nutritional content or its heating value, if you're thinking about energy. And it becomes part of the way we think about value and pricing. And when you do that, you start to create a class of assets that are different from, for example, LME, nickel or metals, where you don't have that consumer defined list of externalities and pricing at it. As you go farther down the chain, we've already announced a partnership with with Trovio to initiate and build a regulated marketplace for the physical flow of tokenized um, tokenized commodities and tokenized exchangeability. So an end-to-end market-to-exchange environment that is built on, on water and leveraging the backbone of water ID, water asset ID, and many of these, these flows that are coming into these forward contracts in the marketplace, pending regulatory environment, uh, approval, of course. But as, yeah. as that gets built and goes through the regulatory approval and, and becomes a living, breathing exchange, you are now buying and selling against democratized contracting that uh, market participants can initiate. Many will choose to ride the contracts of the giants, but many will also choose to have their own. Um, and Apple could, for example, choose to have their own buying contracts, which they already do. Could you make that available to others to buy against? Why not? Could that start to establish an Apple class, um, I, and I'm making things up, nickel or lithium ion? Absolutely. So the names yeah. are irrelevant, but the, the the forward momentum is real. And so the exchange is really where you start to create the price differentiation, you start to create uh, pricing benchmarks and democratized contracting in ways we've not seen in commodities before. And then the next step is differentiated financing. So as these mm-hmm. commodities yeah. become more and more transparent and you hope to create an elevated class of commodities that that pride themselves in the externalities they embody, you can create access, technological access to to give the financiers who choose to finance only a certain category of of ethics and responsibility in a commodity supply chain, visibility into the various actions of of different identities on water. Of course, that identity and that data belongs to the individual organization and market participant, but most of the market participants we talk to are very excited for the ability to share that directly with financiers and start to create differentiated financing. And of course, technology around decentralized lending, et cetera, lends itself beautifully to that. And we've got partners like Archblocks and TruFi who have pioneered much of this for off-chain collateral. And that's that's where we see all of this going ultimately. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's quite a journey. Um, and I think you're honestly one of the few people I know who's, who's really made that, done that journey end to end. So most of the people we deal with, they live in either in the enterprise world or in the crypto world. Uh, yeah. And I think to, to really um, sort of understood the, I guess, the essence of both of those uh, and then be able to put it together, I think is, is, 
it's quite unusual. Um, uh, and I think it's, it's uh, you know, it might sound a bit cliche, but it's very powerful because certainly, you know, we're a company that sits in the middle uh, yeah. and, and we understand the needs of, of, of large companies and regulated institutions and so on. Um, we can also see the, the, the incredible innovation and efficiencies that, that have just sprung up in the, in the crypto world. And DeFi is really the, 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 the you know, the, um, the, 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 the big part of that. And I think it's what we've seen now is only just the beginning. Um, and I think you need to see past, you know, some of the bad actors, obviously, that we've had <laughs> recently and, and all the different shenanigans that go on in the space because uh, it's been open, unregulated and, and, and really, uh, you know, people have, and, and also that, you know, that there's a certain lack of education in the space as well. Uh, so, you know, people have kind of abused that. Um, but behind that, you need to see through it and you need to see the technology and the efficiencies and just, uh, you know, the potential of what you can do with it. And as I said, I think you're one of the few people that can really connect those dots uh, from working with, uh, you know, commodities in the real world and, and in an institutional world and then putting that to together with uh, the potential of DeFi and also understanding uh, which bits you need to take from each one. So, you know, you don't want to compromise the good stuff in DeFi. Uh, so you want to keep the ecosystem open and you can see what happens when you keep it open to developers as well. That's where you get the real innovation and, and the accelerated innovation. Um, but on the other hand, you need to honor and respect the, the regulatory requirements and the institutional requirements because they're all there for good reasons as well. Um, so you need to allow these two things to, to interact and to play together. Um, and I think that's what you're trying to achieve, right? That's very kind words, Adi. Thank you. And absolutely the way I see the world and, and our collective teams and partners see the world. There's a, there's a bridging role and the, the bridging role requires the ability to take the best of both worlds, create a an alternative and enable that alternative to service the needs of the best with the guardrails of the best and empowering the rest to participate. Uh, you know, there's so much further we could go. Things around, you know, last mile access to capital, last mile access to resources, all of which goes back to actually resource producing company, uh, resource producing countries, and and the heart of where these resources have been exploited from. So the circularity in this, if you pull it off, is incredible. And you use the word, you know, you called it a journey. That's absolutely right. And it would be incredibly naive and narcissistic for any of us to think we could do any of this alone. And so our strategy from day one has been to leapfrog through partnership. So I will never be able to build the technology as well as you or Parity Technologies or Archblocks or Trovio can do. So we partner and we get your help and their help and everyone else's collective genius to come help us build. In being a decentralized ecosystem, everyone can participate in, the, in both the ownership and the... Um, uh, and the uh, governance models, the, the ownership of the utility token. And that enables a really powerful outcome that I don't think commodities has experienced ever before. And so much of what you describe and what we today read in the press about what blockchain and decentralized ecosystems and, and crypto, which is a word I refuse to use right now because it's become so, so <laughs> ruined by what people have done. So I'll yeah. stick with Web3 
But what that world looks like and sounds like, all one has to do is go look back in history. I can tell you 100 years ago, oil and oil prospectors or 60 years ago, 40 years ago, natural gas prospectors or, you know, miners and metals guys, all very similar trajectory to maturity, to compliance, to integrity. And so if part of the role we can play is uh, fast tracking some of that for the Web3 environment to, to embed and ingrain some of the standards, the guardrails and the requirements of uh, industries that have already gone through that journey, then we do a real service to to everyone as well as ourselves. And and my biggest plea is anyone who does hear this, if anything we do is interesting, reach out because we are a collective and a cooperative. We are you know we are not for profit. Water is is a Swiss foundation, and we'd love to have many join us on the journey so we can pull it off because there is a better future we can build. Yeah, amazing, amazing, uh, and it's obviously a privilege for us to to be involved and uh, and and see this uh, evolve as well. Mariam, we you know obviously we could uh, th- there's a lot more we could cover. I'm thinking about um, I guess just people who want you, you talked about a launch. Uh, you talked about a launch in May. In April. In April, sorry, in April. Yeah. Uh, I should know this. Um, <laughs> and I guess from that point, uh, the network itself will be will, will be out there and available and open, right? And people will be able yes. to begin to experiment. Is that fair? Yes, and it's already yeah. open and available on Rococo in the Polkadot ecosystem uh, testnet playground. So people can already experiment, but obviously it's in a sandboxed environment. Okay, good. Is there anything else that you think we should cover that we haven't that we haven't spoken about? Um, what should we talk about? I, I think one of the things that I hope we can reach as many developers and entrepreneurs who are thinking about taking the, the talent they have, the, the, the coding and the aspirations they have to build a venture and considering the world of commodities and resources, it can live from the end to end and we can help facilitate introductions and, and openings to some of the, the giants who do have dilemmas that they need help resolving and are open to to solving in cooperative models. And and so I hope people will reach out to us if they're looking at this space and wondering how they could be a part of it. That's what NEO, the ecosystem developer's job is, to to make those connections. And then one other piece that's important to me is you asked about consumers earlier, Adi. And Mm -hmm. one, you know, one end game that I want to leave you with and and I think we're a couple of years away from this, but only a couple of years. One of our uh, one of our advisory board members is a gentleman called Robert Swan. Um, Robert is the first human to ever walk to the to both poles, the North Pole and the South Pole, and he is wow. yeah, and he has since become he was Jacques Cousteau's protege, and he has since become quite an active environmentalist. And all of his work is focused around saving the the poles from human pollution, because on his first trip, he came back with, with severe damage from the depleted ozone. Um, Robert Robert's vision is to get to where with water and something he's championing as part of our ecosystem, with water and everything we put in place, humans are able to navigate, measure, and perform against their own 
own values for their relationship with the planet and other people. The same way we, for example, use the rings on our Apple Watch today to measure our relationship with our personal health and personal fitness. And and to think about the fact that we actually can do that. We can get to a world where you would know if you pull into a Shell station versus an Exxon station, what choices you are making and what you're financing. You would know if you buy an Apple laptop or another one, what activities you're you're financing upstream in faraway lands that you will likely never ever visit. That's not far away. That's the end game from a consumer perspective. And that's why we have people like Robert helping us because his mission is to give the next generation those tools. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Marianne, before we go, yes, my uh, friend. A question that I ask, uh, ask the other guests, I'll ask you as well. Um, okay. Is there a book that you're reading or that you'd like to recommend? <laughs> Well, um, I didn't ask you to prepare for this. I'm putting you on the spot. No, that's good. I have an 11 year old son. And so most of my spare time right now is spent trying to figure out how do you, how do you architect a human whose values are aligned with a future that I want him to live in? And that sounds pompous and I don't mean it to. So the things I love that translate for both 11 year olds and five year olds and 35 year olds are I love Dr. Seuss's Oh Baby, The Places You'll Go. You should read that. It is the most empowering book. And anytime I'm upset or anything goes wrong, that's the book Danny and I will cuddle and read because he remembers it from when he was young. I love The Little Prince, another one about values and how you interface with other human beings. And the rest of my time, I read everything that RMI publishes on sustainability and everything that most commodity participants publish on what they're going through. I love uh, Jack Farshi and Javier Blas books. I all of that stuff. But I think those are, you know, those are the obvious ones. The thing that really inspires me is how do you how do you translate everything we're trying to do to small humans who will inherit the world yeah. we leave behind? And and how do you how do you make a narrative of that? Yeah. I think actually Dr. Seuss got it right with one of my favorites, which is the Lorax. Oh my God. The original environmentalist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we take it back to these basics, it's so hard to not do the right thing. Okay. Amazing. I think on that note, um, I'll say, Mario, it's been an absolute pleasure. Mine. Um, It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, I think if people want to reach out uh, to Water or learn more about it, then we'll put all the information in the show notes. Um, Awesome. But yeah, I'll say thank you very much and and good luck with everything. And uh, maybe we'll have another one in the future to catch up and see see where things are. I think that would be great. Sounds very, very good, Adi. And thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for listening to the Applied Blockchain Podcast. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please let us know by leaving a review and clicking subscribe. Until next time.